This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space, a live forum for courageous conversation. Tonight is part of the ongoing series about trauma. My guest is Deirdre Fay, and we're going to be talking about trauma, attachment, and the body. Deirdre is a licensed clinical social worker with a specialty in trauma and attachment. She's the author of a book, Becoming Safely Embodied, Skills Manual. And she leads workshops uh, in the United States and Europe on finding concrete psycho-spiritual ways to enter the body safely and alleviate suffering. Welcome to Safe Space, Deirdre. Hi. Hi. I want to. I know that you. You know, you are an expert in trauma and attachment, and I know that you are partly an expert because you know the experience from the inside. And I'd love to start out by asking you to tell me a little bit about that. Um, I'd be glad to. Um, I think, you know, it, I, I think what I was drawn to uh, to be in this field was because I had to sort out my own disorganization so many years ago. And it happened when I was, I was uh, in advertising for years and really loving that lifestyle and then being drawn to something else, and I didn't really know what it was. And somebody said, you should go to Corpalo, the yoga center in the Berkshires. And I went there, and I found in that community something that I'd wanted, but I had never known. And so I moved in there, and I lived there for about six and a half years, six and a half, seven years. And it was during that time that my own trauma history came up. And when I think about it, I think I needed that level of safe space, just like your radio show. I needed that kind of safe space in order to even let some of this stuff come up. And when it did, I went from being very active in my body, doing yoga and meditation, uh, you know, multiple times during the day, exercising, I was training for triathlons, uh, to all of a sudden feeling like I could barely get out of bed. I didn't want to do yoga. I didn't want to do anything to stimulate anything inside, and I couldn't figure out why why this shift. And at that time, uh, you know, the field of trauma was really just beginning. Bethel was really making waves, but I was living in this cocooned world and didn't know much about what was happening in me. And so um, I started trying to put the pieces together and started trying to figure out why why. Was I able to do yoga before and then not now? Why was I able to meditate before and not now? And that really began my quest. Um, so it's striking. It's not as if, in other words, you were never in your body and it was only when you healed from trauma that you were able to enter your body. It sounds like you were actually running triathlons, doing yoga every day. Mm-hmm. You were incredibly embodied and then in the course of sort of realizing that something very painful had happened to you, you were less in your body. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Sometimes I think about that with my clients. It's, it's like, whose body are you in? Like at that time, I think I was as real as I could be at that point. Um, so I was in that, that you know, that Deirdre's body. But there was so much more I hadn't yet discovered about being in a body. And unfortunately, that meant I had to go through some icky times. I remember saying to my therapist at the time, you know, how long is this going to take? And she said, well, how long do you think it'll take? 
<laughs> that classic said, therapist question. <laughs> I said, you know, I'm an Aries. I'm really strong. I'm really independent. I can I can do this in six months. Uh huh. <laughs> and uh, it sure took a lot longer than that. Yeah, you'd save a lot of money on therapy bills, though, <laughs> wouldn't you, if it was only six months? So, right. And so when you say, you know, you, it required the safety of that community mm-hmm. for it to come up, um, had you known before that you had suffered a trauma? or was No. It, so it was no. truly, so you really had no memory of that? No. No. And it's striking to me, so, you know, what, what we had agreed to focus on today was attachment, which, mm-hmm. you know, is the sort of, psych technical term for connected relationship Mm -hmm. and what i'm hearing is it's only in the context in this case it was a communal attachment at some level that even the knowledge of what had happened to you could emerge yeah you know i was talking to um, one of my mentors today dan brown and uh, in a whole different context we were talking about this uh, because i was asking about in the book laura hillenbrand's book new book unbroken which is an amazing story of resilience uh, through difficult trauma, uh, Louis Zamperini at the end has this remarkable uh, put-togetherness. And I was saying, well, why does that happen? Why does that kind of spontaneous healing happen? And he was talking about um, cultural context. And I thought of all the ways that we look for these cultural contexts. It's like a 12-step program might provide a, a basis. Uh, Louis, uh, Louis Zamperini's experience was through a religious transformation. It was through a context of a community. And that was what, the case for me, too. It was through the community holding that I then became organized or was able to organize what was previously unorganized. Uh, and it really then helped me step my way. So when you say that, I want to understand that better, to organize it. What, what does that mean? No, it's something I'm still learning how to put words to, and I watch it with my clients. It's how do you think. Um, it's not thinking as in cognition. It's how do you put together this experience and that experience. In the attachment world, they talk about integration and remapping, and it's how do you weave these different disparate parts of ourselves together. You know, over and over, and I, I know this from inside of me, and I sit with my clients, there's pieces of life that are sort of floating off as fragments and we can't recall them back in. It, we, we might even know they're there, but we have no connection to them. And so um, organizing is being able to say, oh, that's there, to be able to witness and observe it, which is a mindfulness capacity, be able to stay with it, which is a concentration capacity, and then be able to move through it, be able to tolerate it, and then say, oh, that's how this affects this. But not from cognition, you know. It's from a real gut gut experience of gathering all that together. Yeah, so, let's, so stay, let me stay with that again. So there's this, you need to be both aware that it's there and part of you. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to stay with it, and then you need to bear it. Yeah. Yeah, which are all much more sort of experiential things. I mean, as I'm talking to you, where I'm going in my mind is thinking about the nature of traumatic memory versus kind of narrative memory. That I, my understanding of traumatic memory is it's very fragmented. It's mm-hmm. like little bodily sensations or smells or fragments. Yeah. And that in the work of therapy, eventually you might get to this kind of coherent story. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about when you say integration? Yeah. yeah. 
my uh, one of my clients who I've been working with for um, for many many years was telling me just this week that she uh, can't go into a certain house. Uh, one of her brothers was one of her big tormentors, and she can't go into his house. And she has really puzzled over it. And over the years, she's begun to realize, oh, why can't I? Why I should be able to. So her adult self, which is in her 50s, knows she should be able to go into that house. There's nothing bad happening there. But parts of her are left in this other parallel universe that's dissociated, disconnected from her current life. And that that part is ruling the roost and keeping her from going into this place that she knows should be safe. And presumably when you say that, you mean like a very young part that's terrified. Mm-hmm. In her case, it is, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I want to I want to switch then. So so there's this idea that sort of integrating these disparate parts is really part essential. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, when I wanted to interview you, I was thinking about talking about becoming safely embodied, your work that I really connect to you in my mind. And you said something really provocative on the phone, which I, I want to ask you more about now, which is that people really only can enter their body again in the context of relationship. Mm-hmm. And I want to hear, I want to hear about that as an idea. And then I want to ask you about that. So there you are in Kripalu. How do you eventually get yourself to yoga again? So maybe tell me the idea first and then tell me how it was yeah. for you. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, I think that's the big question. You know, we we all. I think anyone who suffers from any kind of trauma history or attachment history has really been wounded by relationships. Something's been severed inside, and they don't know uh, how to get the comfort they need. They don't know how to find safe space inside their own skin. So, what I did is I just really had had concrete experiences of feeling good in my body, whether it was through um, working out or laughing with friends or uh, doing yoga or meditation. I had real experiences that I couldn't reach anymore, and I was just determined to do it. And if we think about that in terms of concentration, uh, meditation, that's a concentration practice, right? That level of determination, that focus, I'm going to go there. And so it was watching that and saying, you know, this is what the scriptures say. This is what the ancient texts say. I should be able to do it. Why can't I? And it was through puzzling that out that I then worked these um, these becoming safely embodied skills, you know, which were really the skills I used to put my life back together on a real basic level. And uh, So give me an example of what you mean by that. Um well, if we look at meditation skills, you know, people will say to me, what are the, what what can I do? What can I do to get better? And I invariably say there are two main things. You can uh, know where you want to go. You can be able to train your mind to focus and move where you want to go rather than being torn by everything around you. And you can be able to witness and observe uh, and notice what comes up. And if you can do those two things, almost anything else will be easier down the road. So I teach those basic meditation skills, concentration and mindfulness. Um, I teach other skills I learned from different people. One was from Yvonne Agazarian, 
about separating facts from feelings. So if I focus on just the facts in this situation, I'm going to enter the moment because the facts are in this moment. We know this from meditation practices. What's happening right now is I'm sitting here talking to you on the phone and you know, there are very concrete things happening in this moment. Now, I layer all kinds of feelings, associations, stories, interpretations on those facts, and that's what brings the charge in. Right. So if you can be telling yourself, you know, this isn't like some other phone call where I felt humiliated or... That's right, exactly. You know, and so you can separate that that memory of humiliation from the fact that this is where you are now. Exactly. It happened today with a client of mine who is a really well-put-together person. She got married um, about a year ago. And all this stuff is coming up now. And she loves her husband. He loves her. And he just, if he, they had a great weekend this weekend. And then he looked at her one way and suddenly she's in this old frozen child place that thinks um, all these, you know, horrible, humiliating things are going to happen to her. And so what we talked about is practicing over the week, seeing this man that you love seeing him, not seeing the filter, not seeing all the other stories that are going on, but seeing him. And it comes down to really basic things, the color of his glasses, uh, the clothes he's wearing, uh, the way he's holding his body, and then noticing that and staying with those facts. This is so-and-so. I'm right here right now versus um, running off with a story that we're constantly telling ourselves in our mind. I mean, it feels like for us to be mindful of that, we'd have to be mindful all the time. <laughs> well, that, that, that is the practice, you know, and I think healing is that practice. It comes down to that level of very, very basicness, and, and some of it is learning how to be kind and gentle and loving and compassionate to ourselves because we won't be, we won't be mindful and aware all the time. Right. So we have to be self-forgiving when we're not. So, okay, so I want to come back, though, to the link between this, because this sounds clearly very valuable. The link between being able to do that and beco- and coming back into our body in the mm-hmm. context of relationship. What's the, what's the connection there? Well, you know, I think I started experiencing that with uh, a therapist I had who would really get me to stay in the room with her. And I realized there were many ways I wasn't. I could act like I was in relationship with her. I could report all this stuff. But meanwhile, all this other um, sadness and grief and aloneness and terror was stuck in my body, but I didn't know how I didn't know how to bring all that forward in a real in a real relationship right there in the here and now. Yeah. And it was through her incredible kindness and awareness that I was able to start doing that. And I see that now with my clients. It's the same thing, sitting in the room, caring for each person intimately and lovingly, and knowing that they have these fragments floating around and inviting all that in. And, when, and do you do that explicitly? Yeah, like stay here right now. What's happening right in this moment? You know. And what if they say? To, it, what if they say I'm too afraid to tell you? Yeah. Then you say I want to know. Let me in there. Let's see if we can go through this together. Hmm. 
It's really important to me. And what I know from attachment is that as a child, part of how a child grows up into a secure attachment is the parent, the caretaker, is interested in that child's state of mind. You know, that we say to the, the child in front of us, I want to know what you're thinking. Tell me about what what you do with this. And when you play with that, what happens in you? We we inquire into that person's experience, that child's experience. The same thing happens to happen in therapy. Mm. And as we do that, that begins to organize. They have to become aware of their internal world, even if they're saying, well, I'm frozen. I just want to hide. I want to disappear into that wall or into that space. I don't, I don't want to be here right now. I say, so let's go and go and find out what was that like? What is that body memory trying to tell you about your history? And how do you stay connected to yourself in this moment with me while we together go into that place? It's such an interesting model. You know, when I hear the word attachment, Deirdre, where I think about attachment is sort of these, you know, early studies with animals showing that young animals are basically never far away from their mothers for years. You know, I remember reading that elephants are never more than 12 feet away from their mother for eight years. So so I think of it almost in terms of physical proximity and Mm -hmm. not having traumatic separations. That's sort of like this very kind of rudimentary definition of attachment in my mind. But the way you're describing it is is much more about attunement, about the adult being really interested and attentive to the inner experience of the child. Yes. Yes. And uh, that feels, I mean... Well, but think about it, and we must know this with animals. I, I mean, I certainly know with my little dog that when I'm attuning to him through my voice and through... Uh, visceral sensation, right? Mm-hmm. Not th- just through concepts. Mm-hmm. And that allows me to attune in a certain way. And that's, that's what we do with our clients. And that's what ultimately we do uh, person to person. Now, what gets truncated for somebody who's been hurt in relationship is, like my client today, when she looks at her husband, he had that certain look in her, his eyes. She freezes up because of the look in her his eyes takes her to another place, takes her out of this moment into another moment. So then how do I join with her so that together we can explore what happened in that moment? Right. Right. It's it's fascinating. So that's you being attuned to her again. That's mm-hmm. you basically forming a secure attachment with mm-hmm. her. And then she can attune to her own self and all the different parts, all the different fragments that are going on in there. So you said something really provocative related to this. You know, when we were planning for this interview and you let me know that you had had, you know, you'd sort of learned of your own trauma history when you were in community. And then I asked you to say, well, what was that trauma? And then you said something so interesting to me, which is that you'd learned in your clinical work that the content of the trauma was almost a distraction that people could get hung up on the details. And what was important was really what the impact of that trauma was relationally. Mm-hmm. And I, I was just so intrigued by that, Deirdre. And I want to know, because it feels related to what we're talking about now with attunement. What did you mean by that, about what happens relationally and how that's even more important than well, the know, trauma you know, itself? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a little story of my own life and... Um, and maybe this will weave it all together in some way. Great. Um, 
there's this idea of instrumental love, and so many of us we've had the we we had the you know the bare necessities. We had food, shelter, you know, warmth. Uh, we went to school. We weren't you know in terrible straits. So we had what's called this instrumental love, and that uh, allowed us to feel okay on one level. So we organized around like everything is all right or it looks like it should be all right, so I should feel all right inside. And um, my, my story is that when I was a child, I had a lot of bladder infections, so we were actually living in Morocco, and my mother had to take me to uh, Spain to go and do the surgery and all the different testing. And one of the times after the test, she took me to... Um, to the Prada, which is a, a museum of uh, Spanish history, <laughs> and it's dark and dreary and heavy. And I can remember sitting there, so wanting comfort, so wanting, you know, to just sidle up to her and be held. And I didn't know how to do that. Mm. And it's that place where. Then later on in life, I had to relearn how to connect. I had to relearn how to find comfort. I had to relearn how to ask for comfort. I had to remember it. Right. So what you're saying then is that with instrumental love, the emotional, physical, the kind of affectional, I don't know what the right word is, needs, there's emotional deprivation is really what you're saying. Um, uh, Mary Ainsworth calls it affectional. affectional tie that we have, and that's really the basis of attachment. Yes, and so you're saying that here you were going through these really terrible medical procedures without that affectional tie. Mm -hmm. And I knew my mother cared about me. Right, sometimes I call that the difference between knowing it versus feeling it. Yeah, but what I needed at that moment was something very different, and she didn't know how to give that, and I didn't know how to ask for it. Right. Well, you were just a kid. You only knew what you knew. Yeah. What you'd been exposed to. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, there's this concept in the field called earned secure, mm-hmm. where an, a, where a person who did who had the same kind of experience you did with instrumental love, but not these affectional ties, so not a secure attachment, can later on through therapy, maybe or through other forms of relationship, develop a secure attachment. And I'm curious to know. Is that your experience, and if so, how do people get there? Yeah, well, that's such a big question. It's a great question. Um, yes, you can. I certainly did, um, and I see my clients do. And it happens through steady, day-by-day um, work on your own being, integrating, and also being in a, a safe space, you know, taking those steps to trust that I can bring this forward, that I can say this, that um, I can keep myself balanced, I can keep myself kind, I can keep myself compassionate toward myself and toward others while I go through this process. I can keep steady. You know, this is really why I love the meditation skills, because those are the basis of all of that. So tell me more. How are they the basis of developing a compassionate relationship to yourself? Well, the main basis of uh, concentration practices are really four. They come down to four. Equilibrium, uh, equanimity is what it's called. 
is how do I keep balanced and non-reactive? And I think this is one of the key things that people practice throughout their uh, healing journey is how can I stay balanced with myself and with others when I get triggered? Mm-hmm. Then there's uh, uh, loving kindness. How can I stay kind and gentle and open and seeing what's possible, seeing the love that's possible, opening my heart? How can I be compassionate? How can I sit in my suffering, tolerate it, not from a place of just putting up with it, but opening to it with such a sense of nothing ever has to change, nothing ever has to be different, and I'm here with you no matter what. And that, with that level of compassion, then we can also open to sympathetic joy or the capacity to play and be spontaneously alive and connected to others. And as we practice those four qualities and build them more in our life, then we have a greater platform uh, to enter into going into these really dark places that we go into or the scary places, the feeling like, can I trust you? Um, are you going to be kind to me? Are you going to be there for me? Uh, if I leave, are you going to be there when I come back? Are you going to welcome me? Uh, so when you say this, you know, a part of me wants to know, but, but make it more, how exactly would I do this? Because sound, those sound like delicious qualities, right? Mm-hmm. Who doesn't want all four of those? Yeah. And yet, how how does one arrive at them? How how does say a concentration practice approach to meditation? Well, one of the main get you there. <laughs> way, I mean, there's lots of uh, Sharon Salzberg's book on loving kindness, the revolutionary art of uh, loving kindness. It's a wonderful uh, book for people who want to learn how to do loving kindness or metta practice. What I like to do a lot with people is compassion practices because it's that capacity of being with. Uh, when things are so terrible, that's important. So imagining qualities of compassion, and we all have them. What uh, Finding people, even people you don't know, what are the qualities of compassion? What's the look in somebody's eye? What's the body posture that they have? What's the? How do they interact with us? And we start imagining and visualizing and holding those and bringing those qualities in. And then how do I interact from that place? If I'm held in that kind of compassionate embrace, how do I interact with myself, with you, with others? Um, And then there's different practices um, that I've taught people about literally taking it into your your system, you know, and allowing those qualities to slowly move through your system and touch those uh, wounded places and and interact, not moving any faster than your body needs to, and just letting that ball of, of great compassion touch and expand and open what, what's so held and tight. So in a way, what I hear you saying is that meditation is like a way of developing compassion for yourself. Without question. So and, the, and for others. Yes, and but the two, of course, are so closely, they're of the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that... It's really about entering into a, a secure attachment relationship to yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And you have to do it with love and compassion. Yeah, it's wonderful. So that even if you don't have, a, say, someone else who can give you that, it all is not lost. There's still the possibility of being able to give yourself that. You can give it to yourself, but the world is always giving it to us. Always. 
We've just learned not to recognize it. Uh-huh. Right. I mean, I, that's one of the things I learned in studying trauma is that we tend to orient towards danger afterwards yeah. instead of orienting yeah. towards... Yeah, so Deirdre, we are going to have to stop. It's so lovely to talk to you. I'm just enjoying it so much. If people want to learn more about you or connect with you, how can they find you? Um, the easiest way is through my website, uh, com. Great, and you also mentioned you have a meditation website. Tell me the address for that one. Meditation-PTSD.com. Okay, and that's PTSD for post-traumatic stress disorder. That's right. Deirdre Fay, it has been such a delight to talk to you. Thank you so much for being my guest. My pleasure. This is Dr. Anne, Safe Space. I've been talking to Deirdre Fay about attachment relationships and the body after trauma. If you'd like to listen to the show in its entirety or email it to your friends, please visit the site at www.safespaceradio.com. You can also email me there if you have a request for a show in the future. Um, Next week, I'll be talking to Pat Ogden about working with the body in in psychotherapy after trauma. Um, Coming up next is Allison with Money Talks.